You may be seated. This morning we're continuing our sermon series on All In, but before we do that, I just want to start with an apology. Last week I showed a video, or excuse me, I showed an image of uh, the electric chair, and I want to just take a moment for apologizing for having done that. Uh, it certainly was inconsiderate to families uh, who had young kids in the service, um, and I think it was doubly inconsiderate, because in the, as Christians, our eyes should be always fixed on Jesus, uh, not on instruments of death or price or consequences of evil. So, as we, uh, so I want to apologize for that. Um, but as we get into this morning's message, I'm reminded uh, when we're talking about witnessing and witnesses, that the Bible reminds us that there is a cost to following Jesus, that we ought to consider the cost not as the focus of our faith, but as a consideration. And I think of early Christians who died for their faith. But what was so strange to the Romans who persecuted them was not that the Christians died. What was so strange to the Romans was that they made it so easy for the Christians to live. And the Romans said repeatedly to followers of Jesus, all you need to do is just say that Jesus is not Lord and you can have your life. But the Christians refused to do it. Why? Because they loved Jesus. And they knew what it was to be loved and to experience the love of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about this morning. What, it, what does it look like for witnesses who love Jesus, but most importantly, who know the love of Jesus? So our text this morning is Luke chapter 24. We're going to read uh, the last few verses of the gospel of Luke, actually, beginning at verse 44. This is Jesus speaking, saying to his disciples who had gathered with him. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about the law and the, of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. And he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in, all, in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send, you, send to you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. That is the Holy Spirit. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while Jesus was still blessing them, he, was, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed there continually at the temple, praising God. So far, the reading of God's word. Thinking of the Christian Reformed Church in general, and especially those in our major ethnic group here at River Park, I can think of dozens of cases where people have come into my office or caught me after a service or emailed me. And many of the conversations about evangelism or about witnessing went like this. No matter what I do, pastor, it seems like people just aren't interested in coming to church. Or maybe my friends and neighbors are uncomfortable, in, uh, uncomfortable talking about church, but I feel like I really need to keep bringing it up with them. When it comes to witnessing, many of us, I think, feel stuck. 
And as we begin, I want to just reflect, on, reflect for you that the law always leaves us feeling stuck. But grace never does. The law holds up for us an expectation of what is good and what is right and what is perfect. And yet also the law is, points out our own imperfections. It holds up an expectation that none of us can achieve. Grace, on the other hand, offers us a way forward. So as we talk about witnessing, please know that I know that, what you, that when we talk about witnessing, you expect to hear the law. I think that many of you expect to hear a minister say, well, go witness. Invite your friends to church. What are you waiting for? Or maybe you even expect to hear a minister say, if you don't expect your, or if you don't invite your friends to church, you should at least want to invite your friends. And then you feel doubly guilty because not only are you not doing it, but maybe you don't even want to. Maybe some of us don't even come to church every week. So what if there's a better way? Do we think that Jesus designed, or Jesus' design for us was that we would be driven by guilt? That's not the Jesus we see in Scripture. What if witnessing was actually a simple and even joyful thing? That the way of Jesus offered us a way forward. Because the way of grace is always simple and the way of grace is always joyful. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to, you can see on the screen behind me, we're going to look at three things. First, do you know the love of Jesus? Do you know the joy of being a part of Jesus' family? Second, what do you do regularly that you love to do? That you would happily continue to do even if nobody else showed up? And third, when, you, when you're doing that thing, take some time to notice the people around you who are also doing that thing or in that place. How can you show and share the love of Jesus even with just one of them? That's our focus this morning. That's what we're going to get into. So let's get into it. Do you know the love of Jesus? We all know that we live in a world where people who wonder about faith don't first come to church with their questions. They go online, don't they? They Google it if they have a question. But Christians know that faith is not just an abstract set of ideas or propositions. Faith is actually about a relationship with Jesus. And so people are asking what questions, but they also need so what answers. People do want to know what is faith? What does the Bible say? What is the most, what's the most important thing in life or things in life? But people need to know the implications of our faith. In other words, they need to experience Jesus. When Scripture talks about knowing Jesus, we only have one word for knowing in English, but many other languages have two. There's one way in which you can know information, but knowing a person is a very different kind of thing being familiar with them and comfortable with them. When Scripture talks about knowing Jesus, it's always the latter. Have you experienced the relationship with Jesus? Are you familiar and comfortable with him? People need to know what an experience of Jesus looks like. How will the church welcome me and care for me? How does the church treat people on the margins? 
How will my life change if I become a Christian? And here's the rub. It's very possible, it's imminently possible actually, to answer all of the what questions of our faith and absolutely have no relationship with Jesus. You may be smart and able to memorize scripture and connect the dots between passages. You may be able to remember what you've read in books or heard in sermons and repeat that back to people who have questions. You may even be able to read Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Aramaic and offer all kinds of insight into biblical texts. But until you experience the joy and peace of a relationship with Jesus, all of those things, all of those what things, are hollow. We sometimes think of 1 Corinthians as a text for marriage because we're very focused on marriage in our culture and on sexuality. But I hate to burst your bubble, but 1 Corinthians 13 is not really about marriage. We like the love is patient, love is kind part of the text, but consider how Paul starts his comments in 1 Corinthians. The first three verses of this chunk go this way. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul speaks here in the first person, offering us an example of someone who knows the what of faith, the content of faith, but who does not grasp the love of Jesus, who has not received and experienced the implications of our faith. Scripture says, as 1 Corinthians says, that God's people speak in tongues. It says that faith is powerful. It says that certainly the Bible instructs Christians to give to the poor, as we just did this morning. It instructs us to suffer for the sake of Christ. But if we do all of those things without understanding and experiencing the so what, it rings hollow. To use Paul's words, I am nothing. I gain nothing. It all becomes empty. So what about you? Have you experienced the joy and love of Jesus? Do you know the joy and honor of being a part of Jesus' family? Or do you just know the answers? Or your faith feels hollow? I asked in the introduction, what do you do regularly that you love to do that you would happily continue doing even if nobody else showed up? See, if you know the love of Jesus, if you've experienced the love of Jesus, then this question is actually the question that's at the heart of witnessing. If you've been filled with the love of Jesus, then Scripture says that the love of God will naturally fill you up to overflowing, that God's love will bubble up in you so much that it can't help but bubble over. And the love of God is nowhere more evident in us than when we are doing what we love to do. For some of us, what we love to do is our job. For others of us, our job allows us to do the thing that we love to do, the hobby or the pastime or the pursuit. For still others of us, serving our family is what we love to do. 
There's a philosopher at Calvin College named James Smith who wrote a book a few years back. There's a couple of things hiding in there. Anyway, this is the book. The book is entitled, You Are What You Love. And in this book, he references the thinking of Augustine, one of the earliest Christian thinkers. That what you, what you love is what you give your time to. And what you give your time to forms habits for you. And that these habits form your character. And your character defines who you are. You are what you love. So what do you love to do? Think about it for a moment. It's not that hard. We instinctively know the things that we love to do. That's the things that when we're done with what we have to do, that we go back to. What do you love to do? Maybe you love your job as I love my job. Other people inevitably share our workplace with you and you regularly interact with them. Maybe you love a sport or an outdoor activity. Every time you do it, you're interacting with other people who are on your team. Maybe you're always on the sidelines cheering on a a child or a loved one and you're there with other parents and friends and fans. Maybe even the same people, probably even the same people every time. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm an introvert. I don't enjoy people. Even when I do what I love, I don't want to share it with other people. I just want to relax and be by myself. Well, I would challenge you on that a little bit, those of you who are introverts, because I'm an introvert in some ways. And I think introverts are beautiful in that introverts don't want superficial or hollow connection. And introverts especially don't want many superficial or hollow connections. But remember what we just said about knowing the love of Jesus. See, that preference is actually a gift. We can know the what of our faith, I said, but having it be hollow or superficial is very dangerous. Introverts are God's gift to the church, just as extroverts are. But consider for a moment one of the most individual exercises, like reading a book. People who read books love books. They tend to remember the books that are meaningful to them, and they're eager to share about the most recent or beautiful or powerful book that they read. As I did, right? And introverts often will be willing to lend you their books as well because they love it so much and they want you to love what they love. Whatever that is. Introverts, like all of us, are great witnesses to their passion. They have interesting things to learn or to share with those who are willing to listen and learn. They also are one of the first, as I said, to lend you a copy of the book they're reading. One of the first ways we build deeper relationships is to give gifts, to give a book. It begins a conversation. To give a gift and see if our love is reciprocated. That's what we do as God's people. That's actually what God did with us, isn't it? Scripture says that he gave us the greatest gift of all. That he sent his son, Jesus, to live with us and love us, to die for our sins. 
That he, Jesus is still God's gift to us because he remains seated at the right hand of God the Father. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. And what is God doing? He's waiting and watching to see who reciprocates his love. To see how or if the relationship will be deepened when his love is reciprocated. The idea that we first as Christians need to do the difficult and uncomfortable and awkward thing is not found in Scripture. Instead, the Bible instructs us to do what we already do out of devotion to Christ, out of love for others. Now, granted, this may lead to some awkwardness or difficulty or uncomfortable situations. We're not seeking those out. We're responding to the love of God by doing the things that God has put on our hearts to do. Doing our passions, doing our loves, meeting people in our passions and in our loves who love those things too. And using that as an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them, even just one. I want to encourage you this morning to just for a moment release yourself of the guilt of not doing what you think you're supposed to do. I've shared this picture of organizational life cycles in our congregation before and in sermons. When an organization's in decline, as the church in the West is, it begins to more and more serve itself and abandon its initial mission. A growing church is focused on guests and on visitors. It's filled with passion for our vision, for River Park's vision, reaching out, drawing in, creating a mosaic community. A declining church is worried about supporting its own ministries, serving its own members, protecting its ABCs, its attendance, its building, and its cash flow. We, and here's the rub, friends, that we often think of those things as the fruit or the result of the situation. But actually those things are the cause of the situation. That, that a, a, or a focus on guests and visitors and a passion for our vision is not the result of a growing church, it's the cause of a growing church. That likewise a focus on ourselves and serving ourselves, protecting ourselves is not the, fruit, not the result of a, of a dying church or of a declining church, it's It's the cause. And so as the Western church has been in decline for decades now, I can almost guarantee that you've heard witnessing described in these terms. Get people to come to church. The get people to come to church model is the cause of the continued decline of the Western church. Because are we really trying to get people to come to church? Is that really the, 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 that's all we have to offer? Something else to do on a Sunday morning? Is all we're trying to do just change people's behavior on the weekends? If that's all we're trying to do, we'll certainly fail for two reasons. The second one is more important than the first. The first reason is that many of us don't come to church every week. I don't say that in a judgmental way or in a lamenting way, but let's just have some real talk for a moment. 
If we just want people to come to church, it will be difficult to invite people back when we're not there next week to greet them. Attending church on a weekly basis isn't a priority for many of us. Certainly, we value the church. We like having the church there. We enjoy, and it's important for us to be a part of it. But all kinds of other things come up. So just for a moment, bask in the love and the grace of Christ and allow yourself or allow it to be okay. Again, I want to quote Jesus here. Say, don't worry. Don't worry about what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. Why? Because the pagans run after these things, the people who don't know God. But you have a heavenly Father who knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these other things will be given to you as well. The second reason why we'll fail if all we're trying to do is just get people to change their habits is that changing behavior is God's work, not ours. Every time we try to change other people's behavior, we get ourselves in trouble because we start wielding the law against them, right? This is what you should be doing. And it always gets us turned around. We put pressure on ourselves to invite people into a building where we don't always go. We put all kinds of energy and effort into projects and events that we may not even enjoy ourselves. We worry about food and drink and appearances. And then we wonder why our efforts are unsustainable. We try to do God's work for him, in other words, to change other people's behavior and we fail. But we also forget to do our own part. Our part is simply witnessing. Our part is sharing the love of Jesus with other people regularly and repeatedly, leaving the results up to God. Our part is what's beautifully pictured in this banner. Out of the love, right? There's a big heart there. Out of the love that God has given us to be a servant to any and all and to help them to find Jesus. See, to draw people to Jesus is a far bigger goal than just to change people's behavior and weekend priorities. And yet it's the part that God has given us to do. Because when we go to do the things we love to do, and when we go to meet the people who, we, who are at the places where we love to do the things that we do, and who also share our interests and passions, when we go, Jesus goes with us. So it's the easiest thing in the world to introduce them to Jesus. Because he's with us and in us and empowering our lives. The act of faith is to leave the results up to God. So you may hear me say something that you don't expect. That if you're at all interested in following Jesus, if you're interested in exploring what it means to be all in, then I want you to be an authentic and consistent person. I don't want you to put on a smile when you're feeling miserable. I don't want you to come to church out of feeling guilt or pressure or worry or fear of what others think. When really you need to be at home resting. Our call to worship this morning was from Psalm 122. I rejoiced, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Can you say that? Then you should come to church. And you should go with others, come with others who rejoice when we gather together as God's people. 
See, the question that we have should never be, how do we get people to come to church? It's easy to get people to show up to something. If we wanted to do that, we just need to hold a 50-50 raffle every week. We need to have a petting zoo instead of a sermon. We need to invite the Calgary Flames to sign autographs. It's easy to get people to come to an event. Maybe some of you are even thinking, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. We should do that on a weekend. (laughs) Skip the sermon, have a petting zoo. Who's up for that? Yeah. But, But the church has only and always had one thing to offer people. Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. We don't witness to ourselves. We're not just trying to draw a crowd or get people in the building. Our goal is to be all in for God's kingdom and his righteousness, to seek that first, as Jesus said, and to invite others to be known and loved by God and by God's people the way that we are known and loved. That's why we're trying to create a mosaic community, because we want everyone to know, and, to know and experience the love of God. People from different ethnic groups, different genders and generations, different abilities, different socioeconomic groups. We want everyone to bring their whole selves to be known and loved by God and by God's people. That vision that God has given us is so much bigger than just a once-a-week event. It's because witnessing is not about perfect arguments or about logical steps. Witnessing is about hospitality and presence. We know this because Jesus is God's witness to us. When we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus was happy to let people walk away when they wanted to argue with him or stay in their own way or when they remained unconvinced. Jesus sought people out and loved them. Those who returned his love, he remained with them. He gave himself to them and ultimately on the cross gave himself for them and for us. Because faith is about a relationship, we witness as God's people, we witness to the other person in the relationship. We witness that we experience his love, that we can show his love and share his love with our world. In our anxious world, Christians witness to the comfort of sins forgiven in Jesus' name. We witness to the honor of being welcomed into God's family. We witness to the joy of our risen Lord in our midst. We do it wherever we are. We do it doing what we love with the people that we love. So as you continue to think and wonder about experiencing the love of God, about going the places that you love to go and sharing that love with others, let's come to God in a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we're good at pe- as people, we are good at missing the point. Sometimes we read the New Testament and we laugh to ourselves at how foolish the crowds were or the Pharisees were who missed your teaching. But God, we are no better. Teach us to live not by the law, but by grace. Because as you said, 
Your love fulfills the law. It goes, does what the law requires and goes beyond. To love you, God, to love our neighbor as, as ourselves. Father, teach us to live and die in the joy of the comfort of knowing you. And as we go and do the things we love to do, the things that you have already called us to do in that joy and in that comfort, we humbly ask, not in our own merits, but by the grace of Jesus, that you would give us opportunity to show and share that love with others wherever we go and with whomever we are. Father, hear our prayer, hear our song as we again lift up our praise to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.